Hey, this is Danko Jones, and you are listening to Drinks with Tony. And on the Drinks with Tony show. Yeah. You're listening to Drinks with Tony. I'm your host, Tony Duchesne. Today on the show, we have Danko Jones. He's the author of I've Got Something to Say. He hosts the official podcast of Danko Jones, and he's the front man of the band Danko Jones. Danko, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing good, Tony. Good to be here. Yeah, you just you just flew in from Canada to Los Angeles, yeah? Yeah, yesterday we flew in. Yeah, from Toronto. Yeah. Wait, and and you're from Canada. What what's, what's it like growing up in Toronto? Did you grow up in Toronto? Yeah. It must part of part of me feels like it's amazing and you got the great like comedy vibe there and there's so much like arty stuff or is this just a dream that I have? Uh, yeah, no. I mean, it does it has churned out a lot of comics that have gone on to Hollywood success. Um, thanks, man. Um, mainly from the Second City cast: Martin Short, Eugene Levy, Catherine O'Hara, Andrea Martin, Dave Thomas, Rick Moranis, who apparently is reportedly coming out of retirement to do uh, another Honey, I Shrunk the Kids movie. Jim Carrey, um, I, Kids in the Hall. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I'm sure I'm forgetting a whole ton of other people uh, not a comedian but Sandra O, oh, uh, Seth Rogen so yeah there, but that's actually he's out in the west coast uh, but in t- Toronto uh, is a pretty hotbed for Hollywood because I think they call it Hollywood North um, because a lot of movies are shot here there's tons of movies that you know as a Torontonian you watch and you're like oh that's the corner of uh, you know Dundas and Young um, in every in, in Hollywood movies all the time. I was watching a movie two weeks ago, and it was the whole thing was Toronto as a backdrop, but um, you know, and they pretend it's Chicago or or, or New York City. Um, so yeah, it's kind of cool that way. Yeah, yeah, it is. You get a little bit of a Hollywood vibe every so every now and then, sure. And I think we're pretty. As Torontonians go, we're pretty cool about, you know, celebrity sightings. Everyone doesn't want to be that person, so we all kind of just hang back a lot of the time when you see somebody. What's, what's the, do you have like a biggest celebrity sighting that you're just like, oh, that was a good one? Robin Williams. Yeah. I saw him once, and uh, actually I saw him twice. Um, the first time, he was walking in the dead of winter with a humongous uh, winter parka coat and he had the hood and everything and the, it was like one of those puffy, had like a puffy orange parka and if you didn't know you, you would just walk by him and I think that was his whole point, trying to stay incognito. And warm. <laughs> and like- warm yeah, but he was walking really slow and I go uh, I said uh, I think I said something like Robin, you know, Robin, I brought, hey, Mr. Williams, you said. And then the second time I saw him was when he, he uh, kind of bum-rushed uh, an open mic night, and he did, like, 10 minutes of improv. And then a- after that, everybody kind of lunged at him in the, in the foyer. And I went up to him and I said, you know, I met you, I, I, I saw you once in Toronto. What I wanted to tell you was uh, joke them if they can't take a fuck, which is... 
the last line of his album Throbbing Python of Love. And that's when he kind of broke face and he was like, wow, that's such a, a, an amazing tribute. Thank you. So I was like, yeah, I'm a huge comedy fan. So, so uh, I have all of his, his three albums. I think there's only three. That's that's funny. So then he he knew it wasn't just oh this is Mrs. Doubtfire. He knew that you were yeah yeah yeah. Uh, good morning Vietnam. Right. right. That, that's the wrong approach. That's not the one you want to do. Yeah, you want to say like joke him if you can't take a fuck instead of nanu nanu. Yeah. I I blew it one time when I met Rod Reiner because yeah he, he I you know he's huge to me and I'm just like God damn. Yeah, absolutely. And but I said. Um, and he was very, he had his eyes locked on me, and I was like, it's very nice to meet you, Mr. Reiner. And the minute I said, Mr., I lost him. He was like, didn't want to talk to me. I should have said, I don't think he wanted that reverence. I think he just wanted a normal conversation. I follow him on uh, Twitter, and he seems like a really kind of uh, down-to-earth type of, type of dude. So, yeah. I, I kick myself to this day for what, those like five words. I was like, man, I should have just said, nice to meet you, Rob. No, I had to say, Mr. Reiner. I just had to. I had to kiss his ring, and he didn't want his ring kissed. I, you, you could have called him. Uh, what's it? Marty, Marty, a meathead, or, or uh, Marty. What's his name in Spinal Tap? I can't remember uh, off the top of my head. Oh man, Spinal Tap changed everything. I mean, I, I I see a film like that. That is the reason there's mockumentaries. Uh, Spinal Tap changed me a lot watching it. I don't know if it if it was on your. I, I love Spinal Tap. Yeah, absolutely. I've seen it like I don't know, twenty times, thirty yeah. times. I know the whole thing off by heart, but I cannot, for the life of me right now, remember his character's name in it. Marty. Marty. Uh, oh, that's what you're trying to Yeah, like he was, it, it, you should have said Marty. should have called him Marty. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I should have, that's the one time I should have. But Meathead, I think, that might scare him off too, you know. He'll be like, really? How old are you? And I'll be like, ah, I, I'm getting up there. <laughs> you just call him Marty. And you don't even, you know, as if that's him. That would be pretty funny, I think. Well, yeah, man, what about what about growing up? Like, did you when did you when did when you thought you realized that music was essentially your jam when you were growing up? Well, I mean, when I I mean, I've said this millions of times. Uh, when I was six years old, I joined the Kiss Army. My mom said it, like she's trying to get me to write letters, so I would write letters to hockey players because hockey's a big thing in Canada. When I was a kid, I was into hockey. So your mom was trying to get you to write letters to people who you were fans of? Is that no, the... just like, just as an exercise. So, so uh, you know, back before email. Um, so I would write letters to hockey players, and I would get replies. Like I, And they would send these um, autographed uh, um, postcards that they used to sell at games. When I was a kid, they would... Every... Every team member had a card, and you could buy it for like a buck. And uh, so <laughs> I would get it for free. If you write them, you get a you get it autographed by them, and sometimes a letter with the with the let with the number as a letterhead, like their jersey number as a as a letterhead. Um, so she also said, you know, well, if you write a letter to Kiss, which was the address on the back of Kiss Alive, I'll send it in. And she did, and sure enough, I. In my mind's eye, I can't remember how many weeks or months it took, but I got a reply from the Kiss Army, and uh, I got two school notebooks, like, not notebooks, but uh, folders. Um, one was the Kiss solo albums, and one was double platinum, and then I got five, like, 8x10 glossies, 
And, uh, of course, they were later thrown out. Uh, but I found four of them on eBay. And I, I bought it, only to find out they were, you know, photocopies, colored photocopies. But still, it was nice to see the photos again. Um, so, yeah. Uh, uh, that's probably the first time I kind of really connected with uh, a rock music in, in a in a personal way so it made me like a fan for life of Kiss I mean since then there's been lots of up and downs in that whole camp a lot not necessarily positive um, but anyways that's what in generally speaking brought me towards rock music and then um, and then so when did you start learning to like learning music and playing guitar when did you go you know what I gotta pick that up or I gotta take some lessons or were they forced on you Uh, no I mean piano lessons were forced on me to the point where I'm not very interested in even touching a piano to this day and I retained nothing Uh, how many years did you take piano maybe two or three but um, when you're a kid it's that's forever Um, that's that's half a lifetime (laughs) yeah so I hated it every once a week sometimes on a Saturday which was precious to me because you know it's the only time you have to yourself and I had to go to this place for this oh my god it was it lasted for like hours but it was probably just half an hour um, and then when I was 13 I really wanted a guitar and so I wanted an electric guitar but my mom said uh, you have to learn acoustic guitar if you really want an electric guitar so I took the lessons and then you know I wasn't joking around I was serious then I got a you know cheap Squire Stratocaster the cheapest they could find in the store (laughs) and uh, then I just kept playing and playing and then at at some point you uh, you were like okay I gotta gotta find friends who are into this is that yeah that was hard I mean there was nobody in my school who was really that greatly artistic artistically oriented it was a it was like an academic type school everybody was even at that early age gunning to be engineers and architects and doctors and they a lot of them are now um poor things i mean someone i went to school with is like the the top general surgeon in um in the in the kids hospital in in toronto now and he's on the news i see him every now and then those might be good people to have actually as contacts because when you get health stuff going on, you can. I don't. I don't. I only saw him at a reunion a few years back, and he knew what I was doing. And I, and he said, "Hey, congratulations on your success." And I said, "Well, congratulations on your success. I see you on TV all the time." So these are the kinds of people that um, I was going to school with, and who, who, so it was hard to form a band with anyone who was really. They were really. They a lot of them had their eyes on the prize, and it shows today. On the other hand, a lot of them turned out to be real estate agents as well. <laughs> you find this out on on social media or LinkedIn or or whatever you see it. Sometimes they'll do a, like a blind search. I think everybody does. Going, whatever happened to this guy? And then he pops up, and he's like a real estate agent or something. They're usually real estate agents if we don't know where they ended up. And then the other thing is. Um, I don't know why I get the bug in my head. I go, you are. I'm just like, oh wait, what's that guy that beat me up in third grade? Where's that guy right now? You know. And then you find out he's a good family man. You, you just you see him with lovely kids, and I'm just like, I had I had prick in my mind, and then now you you know. It's- I think there's still pricks. 
I mean, I, I really, I went to a reunion and I was the first to leave. I, I, I was, I was like, why am I here? I hate this place. And I didn't really, I didn't really bond with anyone, you know, past, you know, graduation. I have one friend, but we lost contact. So, and he wasn't there. So, um, I left. I really did. I, I really left. Um, uh, but the people that I was, I went there to give a second chance to in my head. Uh, yeah, they're, they're, most of them are, they're, they're all kind of douchey still. So it didn't, I think, I think it would, yeah, you're done. Once you graduate high school, you're pretty much, for better or for worse, who you are. <laughs> you know, I, 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 of course, there's always that percentage of people who will, who will be, have some sort of insane, life-changing catastrophic event that alters their personality or the you know the way they view the world but not those guys <laughs> um, and so it seems like you didn't have a lot of um you didn't have a lot of what you, you know you don't punk rockers essentially how did you go find your misfits yeah there was like uh, just nobody who was like so uh like i wanted to be in a band now let's go now let's start jam let's start getting gigs now like that's where my head was at, and I was like sixteen, and which it, is really driven for sixteen. Yeah, I, I, I was ready to go. I, I was re- I just couldn't find anyone who, who would you know you can't find the drums were the hardest because nobody will house drums in their have their parents house drums. So it was hard for me to get it off the ground until much later. Once I was, you know, kind of I acclimated to the local music scene and you know networked a little bit. But in, in high school, it was really hard. So and, e- and even still, if someone has a drum kit, they suck, <laughs> you know? So, you know, you don't want to do that either. Um, but yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, anyways. And then um, I, w- I was reading some of your articles that are put together in your, in your book, and um, there, was, there was one about Death Angel. I grew up in the Bay Area. So I did college radio up there, and Death Angel in like 1990 was heavy rotation on my show. And um, and I and I wrote for the Chronicle for some years. I found out they had never had a feature in the San Francisco Chronicle, and I'm like, "This is Death Angels, you idiots! I can't believe you haven't covered them. These guys are legends." And so I I, I got to get an article in the Chronicle for them, but I just I, all I wanted to say was um, I was glad that there was another Death Angel fan out there. <laughs> oh, absolutely! I mean, my my fandom for that band runs deep. Yeah. I think you know when all the dust is settled and. All the Kisses and the Metallicas and Led Zeppelins have gone. They're my favorite band, Death Angel, just on so many different levels. Um, I, I was able to meet them in 04 while we were on tour in, of all places, Helsinki, Finland. Um, and since then, um, uh, I hung out with Dennis that night. Uh, and then we struck up a friendship. And through Dennis, I was able to... Uh, have a gain a friendship with all those guys like uh, Rob uh, Mark uh, Andy um, and Ted who's been there longer than you know Gus was and, and so you know even even like all the way up to the Grammys this past year where they were nominated I was texting with with Ted and Mark and and uh, just wishing them, you know, good luck and, you know, all that. So that's something. And, and I had their p- 
pictures up on my wall growing up, and I went in the article. I did go to their uh, autograph session when I was 15, and and it was uh, so so, so uh, maybe five six years ago, they came through Toronto and brought me on stage to sing Thrashers with them. And Mark said a nice thing. You know, he goes, "We laughed at this guy when he came to." see us at an autograph session in Toronto when he was 15 and so well, you know sorry about that come on up and we sang Thrashers together so that, that was a really special moment I've sung Bored with them as well so that I sang, I sang Bored with them at Hellfest so you know I just had I, I just had to say I, I was the one who said I'm bored when the song stopped so it was kind of cool um, so yeah like and I followed every they're only one of the few bands I've followed every album. And I can't even say that with Kiss and Metallica. Because the, the, there's years where I, I just didn't, I wasn't into it for one reason or another. But Death Angel, every album I've, I've checked out and, and listened to thoroughly. And, and just like, you know, get, yeah, they're the only band, I think. I think. I mean, I might be missing... A band you can probably throw a few and I'll be like oh yeah but they're really and so when we played the night of the Grammys we were we were in um, St. Nicholas Belgium just last week playing a show and so uh, there's two everyone kind of knows like if they follow me on Instagram they know like who come to our shows who know I'm a Death Angel fan or who've read the book so there's two guys who showed up in Death Angel shirts because it was the night of the Grammys and we're in Belgium. So I brought them on stage, we took a photo, I sent it to Rob and Mark and Ted. And, um, and so yeah, like it, it does, and, and on stage that night I said, you know what, I think they're my favorite band. You know, like, so yeah, that's why I think I could say that because it's a realization I came to just a week ago on stage. Wow. Yeah. What's, uh, there's a great lesson to be learned is when you feel like you're dissed by one of your heroes, stick around for a while. You might jump on stage with them. Is, the, is that the lesson? Oh, yeah. You know, even when I was 15, the reason why they laughed at me was because I went to an all-boys school, um, an all-boys Catholic school when I was in grade 10. And there was not, and it was an hour from my place. There wasn't enough time for me to go home, get my Death Angel records, and then go back to the audience. So I showed up in my uniform. So I was there, and there's all these, you know, metal heads, you know, in their metal whatever. And I was just standing there by myself in my uniform with a tie and a blazer. And when Mark and Andy saw me, they're like, hey, what school is that? You know, and, and I go, oh, you know, I go to this boys' school. Yeah, we got one of those back home. They started laughing. And I didn't walk home devastated. I, I was just like, oh, man, I wish they didn't laugh at me. And uh, but I never, you know, when Act that was for Frolic, and then when Act Three came out, I, I bought I bought Act Three. I didn't I didn't I didn't say like oh they laughed at me screw them. No, I, I just followed them. But you know you stick around in this biz too too long, and you know you, if you have a mouth as big as mine, you know you're gonna burn bridges. But Death Angel or uh, I'd like to think a band that I, uh, bridges have only strengthened. So. Well, and I, at some point, I mean, even like on the you know, on the writer's side, you know, like people who are authors and stuff, it, it, sometimes you want people to hate you for the right reasons. You know, it's it, I, it, that's okay. Yeah, that I mean, I found that out in writing. Like a lot of people, you know, you, you if you write opinion pieces, you know, there's only going to be someone who, especially in music, which is you know so polarizing often, 
um, you know, there's going to be people. There's going to be people who don't like what you write, including people in the bands themselves. So, so I had to be okay with that when I started writing for music magazines. And yeah, I've lost. I gotta say, and I'm not gonna say who, but there's been people who I've cons- you know, considered musical heroes growing up who have politely told me that I'm not welcome anymore. You know, so so it's cool. I, I, I it hurts a little bit, but at the same time, why are you taking it so hard? You're like a multi-millionaire with millions of people who love you, and I'm really just saying things. If you get the vibe of the book in jest, now granted, we took a lot. We took all the in in, in figuring out the book. Me and the editor Aaron Brophy, we uh, I, I gave him a lump sum of uh, articles, and uh, we were going back and forth about them, what to include, what, and then finally, I just I made the decision: let's not have any negative articles because they're all reprints in this in this uh, book. Um, so let's take away all the articles that I that were that could be seen as negative, like me making fun of someone, um, and that saved me a lot of headache. <laughs> uh, and I still think the 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 uh, point is comes across with the book. It's just a kind of like I'd like to think someone who's really into music. Um, just giving their opinion in the back in the dressing room or or in the van or you know which is what we do when we're on the road you know if you get a bunch of super uh, 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 music fans together who have <coughs> uh, uh, hard opinions uh, about bands and albums these are the these are the results of the conversation sometimes so. and and you're supposed to have major opinions if you know like I I'll, um, I teach writing as well and I'm just uh, and people get kind of scared to like say their opinions about writers or if they, you know if it's a cool writer they don't want to say the wrong thing I'm like no you tear them down it's published stuff you need to be so opinionated over this because this is our passion this is we're in this game because we're opinionated I agree it's just that it could affect me professionally because I'm also in a band that tours so you know I don't know if it's cost us anything, um, tour-wise or you know show-wise, but um, also be it. You know, it's I, I wasn't trying to deliberately be an asshole. So, and if it comes across, it was only meant in like if you can't see the tongue placed in the cheek, then you're an idiot. So you deserve to be offended, kind of thing. And it's also, I mean, you know. It, I, I feel like uh, opinions come from a place of love, and if if you have a visceral if you have a visceral emotion towards something, that that comes from somewhere. You got to feel good about that. I agree. Like, I only I only criticize the bands that I've got huge fandom for, and people, including the people in the bands, misunderstand that. I just, yeah, it's taught me like to not take things seriously about our band either. You know, unless someone. You know, doesn't like our band, tags me on Twitter, personally tags me to let me know that, you know, they wrote this terrible piece. Like, there's one for this album we have, A Rock Supreme. It came out last last year, and on the day of its release, the writer tagged me on Twitter to let me know about her negative review of our album. 
and I'm thinking, look, I don't, I don't care whether you like our our album or not. Like you're totally welcome to not like it, but do you need to let me know personally on the day of its release, which is supposed to you give me, give me a week to enjoy and bask in the, in this whole, you know, this it's, it it takes a lot to to make an album. Just give me a week before you tear it down, and she did it on the day of the release. She didn't have to tag me. I thought it was, it showed a lack of class. Um, you know, I, yeah. There's, there's something about this whole social media thing where it's, it, I, I think it would be nice where people can't have access to you to, uh, at certain times, you know, and like, especially a time like that, especially after a record. I mean, after anything is produced and you've gone through the hell of getting something out there and then you could just like bask in it a little bit. And then it, if she's like a, so-called professional writer and tags the band with a negative review that's that's just dumb that, that's like almost asking for a fight so they can like go see I got it I got him I got him well I ignored the tweet I didn't reply but you know it's like when when um, album reviews and magazines would come out there's always a delay so that natural delay in the print time and the release time give you know the give the band at least some time to enjoy one or two days of like our album's out hooray um but now with social media you can get an immediate response um so it also is a responsibility to just just lay off you know you don't have to be that mean okay you are a true writer and you're a true you're just being you know a true journalist you don't have to tag me it's not that i can't take it but i just thought i would not do that to anyone it's almost like write the article for your audience and then she came up with it and poked you with a stick so she could put it in your eyeball if she did that and she said you know the new album sucks and she didn't tag me and she did it on the day of the release but I being like the ego maniac did a search on myself and I found it that's different I'd be like oh man I shouldn't I shouldn't search for my shouldn't do my name searches that would be different. That's me, uh, you know, poking. But you don't have to tag me. That's the, that. So when, when writers tag me and uh, I, I find out it's a negative thing, I just go, why did you do this? Um, and not that I have to live in a bubble, but, you know, there are just some lines that you don't have to cross. Doesn't have to be in your in your face. It's that's it. Just it's yeah. Ugh. Now you're getting me mad here. I'm only at coffee. I found I found people tweeting about our band in a negative light, but you looked. But I looked. Fair game. I'm like okay, fair, fair enough, man. Like you're entitled to your opinion. You know, it doesn't bother me. And um, and you also do you do a, you do the podcast pretty regularly. And you're on like episode two hundred sixty or something like that. I've been doing it for well, twenty twenty will be the ninth year come come May. So yeah, almost yeah nine years. Um, I do it every two weeks. So uh, yeah, it's been going on, and uh, I enjoy it. It keeps me busy on the road. Like I basically stockpile them and edit them on the road. Um, and I do a second podcast. I've been doing that for two and a half years as well. That's a weekly podcast on the 70s sitcom Three's Company. And we really? just yeah, and we just go in chronological order. So we're at season six, episode 22 now. Oh, 
going over every single episode of Three's Company. Okay, so like Jack Tripper, I wanted to be him when I grew up. I, it's, I, I just remember watching that and going, oh my God, he is the greatest man alive. I wanted to be Larry, and really? then when I grew up, I wanted to be Furley. Uh, <laughs> so, so I'm getting to Furley, um, so I don't have to try too hard. But uh, yeah, um, I, 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 love, yeah, I do it with my cousin Cameron, who's never seen the show. So he's, you know, he's, uh, he's watching these episodes for the first time, and he's, he doesn't like it. And uh, sometimes, so slowly, it's taken six seasons, he's kind of coming around. Um, so it's an interesting, his, his uh, perspective is, is as interesting as someone who's, you know, a huge fan, who grew up with it. So I like that. And we have a good back and forth, you know, because we know each other very well so uh it's 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 pretty funny um and then i actually bring in guests because he's genuinely fucking doesn't want to do it sometimes i can sense it he always says yeah no i'm I'm good for it let's do it let's do it but i can sense he's burning out so i'll bring in like you know musician friends of mine or comedy friends of mine and they'll do a few episodes give them give them a, a kind of like a month or two break so yeah <laughs> And then I remember when um, the Ropers were there, and they and then they did the spinoff of the Ropers, took them off, and then Furley came in. Furley was Don Knotts just kicks ass. It's amazing, yeah. So um, we're, since we're at season six, uh, it ends at season eight, and then uh, we're gonna watch. I have every episode of the Ropers and Three's a Crowd as well. So so we'll keep, continue on for two more seasons past past season eight. Uh, so it's really ten network seasons that we're gonna cover, and we're at we're almost ending we're almost at the end of season six did you talk about the Suzanne Summers leaving the show on yeah. the yeah, yeah yeah that that was such a crazy story yeah it's crazy we just kind of touch on it like um, when she calls in you know for I think it was six episodes yeah and uh, you know of course time has proven that she was she was right you know to want equal pay that Jack Tripper was getting or John Ritter that was getting um, and so, yeah, I think she was right. Uh, however, I did enjoy when she did leave. Um, it just brought a, a new spin to the show because I was really getting tired of Chrissy at the end. They were dumbing her down more and more. She's becoming so out of sync with Jack and Janet. Um, like she started off um, dim and then she turned dumb. You know what I mean? It like, turned into a cartoon. Yeah, she had like the pigtails and, and she was over makeuped and and it was just uh, not the same. They changed her character. So I thought I thought that was uh, uh, refreshing when they brought brought in Terry. Not Cindy, but Terry was more refreshing. She was more laid back and you know, she wasn't she, yeah, like and it also showcased uh, Joyce DeWitt as a as a not only a, a comedic actress but a physical comedic actress keeping up with John Ritter who was like a genius he was like on par with um uh Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton so so if you can even keep up with that kind of genius i mean come on it really showcased how great she was um, and then add, of course, Furley into that mix, and it's like amazing. Once uh, Suzanne Summers left, it really forced uh, Don Knotts and Richard Klein to to 
you know, come more in the foreground. Oh, interesting. And then the, I wonder if the writers had to sit there and go, okay, we got to up the game on these guys. And um, yeah, I, I, yeah. Yeah, like they tried to bring in Lana and they... Um, Oh uh, my god! Lana. Yeah, I never liked Lana. She never made sense to me because oh, it's I love Lana. Do you? Yeah, I loved Lana, and she she was kind of making up for you know what was happening behind the scenes. I think. Yeah, I think she lasted for nine episodes or. Yeah. Yeah, nine episodes. Do you know? Do you know where the actress is now, or what she did after that? Was she passed away? Uh, like I think a year or two ago. Yeah. And for for the life of me, I can't recall her name which is a shame but yeah Lana Shields the actress yeah she's great I loved her um, but uh, you know by Suzanne Summers leaving it it forced everybody to, including Joyce DeWitt to really up their game and um, and then I when I when Jack owned his own restaurant I, I kind of those some of those episodes drove me nuts yeah, I just, I don't know why. It just, I didn't like the setting of it. You know, because how you see like TV shows and it's like the apartment setting. And then you got the downstairs, you know, the little sets they build. And then when they spent too much time on the restaurant set, uh, I, I don't know. Just something irked me about that set all the time. No, I love Jack's Bistro. Yeah? No, I really did. And I, I loved it in Three's a Crowd when they, you know, they kept it. Um, but uh, uh, I liked how... Um, through the eight seasons, we follow Jack Tripper's, like, he grows. He really does. Janet stays at the flower shop from season one to season eight. I mean, she just stayed at the flower shop. But you see Jack, you know, in cooking school. Then he gets apprentice jobs. You know, he's like a, you know, like just a short order cook um, at a diner where he gets sexually harassed. Then he's like a, you know, assistant chef. Then he's a chef. Then he gets his own restaurant it's cool like that from that perspective that does make sense because back in those days there was no like sitcoms that had arcs to them like everything almost has an arc to it now so we got the light touch of a jack tripper yeah which i thought was really interesting for that time you know because like you know fonzie was always what did he do yeah although richie he did end up getting married and you know richie cunningham did end up growing out growing up I think he joined the army yeah I believe so what what's, was funny about Happy Days was how they just lost the brother do you, do you, they had the, he had, he had Richie had an older brother and then it was just and then all of a sudden he just didn't <laughs> because in the, the original or, or the first season they, sh, they shot it in, on film right Is that what it was? Yeah. and then it and then it became like a or they shot even the studio it wasn't that it was on film it was um, without a studio audience like the first few episodes, if I if my memory serves me right. Wow, it's, and then but I don't know why they changed the they just lost the brother. It was like the bewitched thing where the like, uh, facts of life, right? What, oh, what happened in facts of life? What, there was originally like seven girls, and then they just left. Molly Ringwald was one of them. Yeah. Oh, she went on to do great things. I mean, I'd, I'd rather have her doing Pretty in Pink and Sixteen Candles than Facts of Life. Originally, there was like seven or eight girls. And then they kept three and brought in Joe Polnicek. Oh, and I used to have a crush on her. I, I think, I, yeah, yeah. Nancy McKeon. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see what other crushes, uh, what other 80s sitcom crushes I had going on. I had a huge crush on Heather Locklear. Oh. So. Yeah. And then when she went to TJ Hooker, or, or was she, did she start on? And then she went to Dynasty. Yeah. Oh, is that what it was? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
And then didn't her and like Tommy Lee from Motley Crue end up? Was that? Yeah. I'm married. Yeah. Blows my mind. I, I grew up in this small suburb of San Francisco and I just, I come down here and I'm all, wait, what happened? I, they were, they were on the little box when I was a kid, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's true. What's, um, oh, I can go on. on. You know what? I, I got to say one of my favorite Canadian shows that's probably the last 15 years is Trailer Park Boys. I don't know if you follow those guys. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm a, I'm a fan. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. In fact, uh, Bubbles, Mike Smith, um, he wrote a, a nice, um, what do you call these? Um, blurbs for the book. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it was nice of him to do that. Yeah. That's right, because he's in a band himself and played with his band in the 90s when I think maybe 97 he remembers too and um, I remember the band and I remember the show but you know of course this was before Trailer Park Boys so I didn't know that he'd go on to you know world stardom <laughs> yeah. I, I kind of feel bad for um, the guy, you know, the other two guys too, the, um, because they do their characters so well. It's almost like they're typecast, and you couldn't even see them in anything else. Right? Yeah. It's funny when we toured with Guns N' Roses. We toured with them in 2010, uh, and we did a cross Canada tour along with other countries. But the last shows were in, last show of the tour was in Halifax, which is where Trailer Park Boys is out of. And they were all there. And it was a surprise for Axel. So Mike, well, Bubbles and Axel in real life are, are good friends. So as a surprise to Axel, he, he brought all these guys out on stage and it surprised Axel. Um, but there was a moment. So in order to keep it a surprise, they had to hide Ricky and um, Julian, Julian and, and, and Bubbles in our dressing room. And Leahy was there too, so it was the f- three of them at one point. It was just the three of them, and we were all like in our dressing room together. And I and we were all, we had been watching Trailer Park Boys on a previous tour, like after every show we'd watch an episode, and so it was like, and our our guitar tech at the time was like, he's from Sweden. He was a huge Trailer Park Boys fan, and we were all there together with the, the three guys, and it was surreal. And Julian had a drink. He was, he had, he was, they're in total character, in total character. And, and even backstage in our dressing room, and we were, we couldn't like, it was weird. It's crazy. Was it the first season when he, um, cause he always had his rum and Coke when he got in the car accident and the car flips and then you see his hand come out and he still has the rum and Coke not spilt. That's vaguely familiar. I can't remember, but that's something I, I can see that happening, yeah. Just utter genius. I love it when stuff like that happens. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, 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 and throughout that whole Canadian tour, Axel brought Mike out. Oh, cool. Yeah, so he would be like a kind of a surprise guest. And everyone in Canada knows that show, of course. So he would, you know, it would be an easy, easy bridge to, you know, when, when Bubbles comes out. No matter where you are, coast to coast, people went, lost their shit. Um, so, so we got to hang out with him um, on that tour, and it was nice. It was cool. He's Mike's great. And then we played Hal- last time we played Halifax, he came out, and it was pretty, pretty funny. Anyway, yeah, it's a story unto itself. <laughs> well, um, oh my God, I'm blanking on the name of the troupe that's doing the show now. That's uh, 
out of Canada and they have this they make fun of LA in it and it's hilarious they talk about tacos in LA when you go to is it Baroness Von Sketch it's all women four, four women no I think this is three dudes and a girl three dudes and a girl yeah. I can't I remember know. you didn't know you were coming on this with trivia right a Baroness Von Sketch is pretty funny exactly. too yeah yeah um Growing up on Kids in the Hall, I mean that just that blew my mind. It's especially the um, I forgot who did the the song, the their theme song that was just so fantastic. When I was like, it, "Shadowy Men on a Shadowy Planet," yeah, they recently got reun- they'll reunite every now and then. Um, yeah, actually, uh, the drummer Don Don Pyle, he's like a man about the scene. Like a, he's been a, in the punk rock scene in Toronto for years and years and years. Uh, and on occasion, he'll give me a buzz cut. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And he's got a buzz cut, too. So there's one point I posted a photo of him and I on, on Instagram, and I go, Don Pyle just gave me the Don Pyle. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, there's so much about Toronto in that show, Kids in the Hall. And uh, Lauren Michaels, I mean, he's Canadian as well. So Yeah, yeah a lot of pull down in the on the SNL especially in the early days yeah 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 it, yeah like Gilda Radner um so much so much ties with with Toronto and Canada and all those groundlings and there's a groundling second city connection and so um yeah and I've had S- Scott Thompson who's oh, in Kids in the Hall yeah he's he's been on the podcast he was actually one of my early guests on the podcast so and he doesn't do anything no, nothing small with, with Scott. So we ended up spending like the whole day together. Yeah, it was amazing. So yeah, he's he's amazing. Yeah, he's yeah he's great. Um, so yeah, I love I lo- and brain candy, which just blows my mind. And the, and the- that's great. Yeah, so you're a huge fan. Oh yeah, yeah, I love brain candy too. Yeah, I heard I heard the story was that they uh, publicity and marketing tanked it because they wouldn't take the cancer boy. Uh, part out and so they like tanked the publicity yeah, and to like yeah. there's things well then why'd you make the movie that, that that was my whole like why then why was this made <laughs> the the um oh my god from his name is not on the tip of my tongue but he plays the lead singer of the band that's he's like totally emo grunge in the movie and he McCullough? yes yeah, yeah and he's he's always the music guy you know yeah, yeah. and um he got, i just i always think of his uh he says something in there that he, he says the line "fuck happy" when he's talking about when everyone's starting to take the pill, and he just goes, "You know what?" And he's like, "Fuck happy," and everyone's like, "Yeah!" And I think of that in my head so often, just that "fuck happy." I don't know why. I don't know why I brought that up. I, you know what? I saw it way back then. I can't yeah. remember it now, but yeah. But I do remember it being one of the reasons they broke up, right? Like, isn't that? I think that might have been one of the reasons they. I think if I'm. If I, I, don't know. I mean, when things get like high stakes like that, yeah. it's it, it it's hard to keep it together. I just, yeah. it, and I, but they recently reunited for some shows. I, recently being like four years ago, five years ago. Yeah, I remember that. All oh, those guys were so much fun. Um, I was going to ask you an, uh, another question. You're about to start the tour, so what, what do you have like a like? What do you do when uh, you're about to start a tour? Do you kind of like? get in a little more shape or is there, is there any like rituals I don't know because I, I know I would have to get in shape just to like be in your audience on tours uh, theoretically that would be the first thing you would do but I don't um, uh, 
first of all, it's not really a tour. It's just um, four shows. I, I don't consider that a tour. We just got back from four shows in Benelux, like Belgium and three shows in Belgium, one show in Holland. Just and then we were home for a week, and now we're out here. Uh, That's good. Is that a is that an easier way to do it to break it up, or is it much easier to just bang out cities um, and kind of? Well, it just depends. I mean, it just depends where the offers come in and how they come in. Uh, uh, yeah, I know. I uh, I don't think about it too much. I, I I think if you think about it too much, then you're gonna shoot yourself in the foot of, in, inevitably. So I I don't even think about. I don't even give it... The only thing I think about is, like, if there's a song in the set that I'm not... I can't... I know that I'm fucking up this part, then I'll go over on guitar. Like, the music, I need to... We need to practice, and I need to make sure that I'm on it. But everything that happens in between the songs, like the banter that that comes... You can't plan that shit. I know bands who do. Like, I've been on tour with bands where the front front person has it written out on a sheet and they're like reading it like a script and then like reading it on the page and then closing their eyes and saying it in their head out loud I've, I've been on tour with bands like that and that and it's fine and it works everyone you know they get the, the lines right every night but being on tour with a band like that it's like no no fun I like to play to the back of the room so when I'm doing banter if we're on tour with people like or, or if we know people in the crowd who, you know, like I, I usually just try to entertain them. There might be like 500 people in front of me, but if there's three guys I know who, you know, who we're friends with or I've seen, you know, I'm really just trying to crack them up. And so that's what our, like, you can't, you can't rehearse that. You can't plan that. So that's, that's, you know, that's, so I just walk on stage like blank. <laughs> That's kind of how I do this podcast. I, like I showed you my my yellow piece of paper, and then I, I kind of just like not knowing, just seeing where it goes. I could have never, we could have never had a great conversation about Three's Company if I had things. You know. Well, yeah. I mean, it's that's that's you can plan out where you want to go with somebody, and sometimes I, on the podcast I've done that because there's certain points I want to make with them, and I want to discuss. But yeah, like yeah, past writing the book I don't know what else there is to talk about so yeah I might as well let it fly let it roll Danko thanks so much for coming on the show thanks a lot Tony thank you Danko Jones on Drinks with Tony check out his book I've Got Something to Say 10 Years of Rock and Roll Ramblings with a foreword by Duff McKagan and bop, 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 book coaching. Along with this spectacular podcast, I'm a novelist and screenwriter, and I teach both at UCLA Extension in Los Angeles, and I do one-on-one book coaching. Is this a plug? Yes. Go to drinkswithtony.com book. That's drinkswithtony.com book. And get your novel or memoir ready to submit to agents and publishers. Again, that's drinkswithtony.com slash book. Hey, I will see you next week on Drinks with Tony when our guest is Charlie Bueller. You may know her as Jasmine in the fabulous film Confessions of a Teenage Jesus Jerk, directed by Eric Stoltz, written by me. And she's screening her film at CineQuest next month. It's called Before the Fire. We talk with her next week. That's Charlie Bueller, director and actor. Have a great week. Read a book. Support your local library, and I will see you next Wednesday.